You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delicia, and this episode features Denise Mitchell. Denise first entered the fashion scene as a model and beauty pageant winner and eventually made a name for herself behind the scenes as a personal stylist and visual merchandiser. Then, just before her 33rd birthday, everything changed. She was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer. Like most of us women, Denise was reassured by doctors that she did not need to worry about yearly mammograms before age 40, even though her mother was a breast cancer survivor. But after discovering a lump during a self-examination, Denise would soon learn that she was in for the fight of her life, and fight is exactly what she did. During our chat, Denise breaks down how she took her power back during her cancer journey and built an entire brand to help others do the same. So please take a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Denise, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Delisha. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy we finally got you on. It's been a long time coming. And you got this like megawatt smile, which is amazing. I'm in such a good place right now. I'm just really, really ecstatic. That's awesome. I could could feel the good energy, which is always good. This is going to be a good one. Yes, it will. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Tell us, who is Denise Mitchell? Okay. Denise Mitchell is a proud um, first-generation Brooklyn. I'm born and raised in Brooklyn from a Grenadian Grenadian parentage. So my Mm -hmm. parents uh, immigrated from the island of Grenada in the late 70s. Um, I grew up in a middle class home. Um, I'm an only child between my parents. So I like to say that I was spoiled, but I wasn't a brat. So uh, my parents kept me very involved in um, growing up and up to high school. So I was always busy. Um, If it wasn't like dancing, it was modeling, it was swimming, it was acting, it was beauty pageants, it was um, booster practice. I was always involved and my parents made sure that I gave back to my community. I was always volunteering. I was always, even when I went back home to Grenada on summer vacations, I was going to orphanages and giving back somehow, some way. So, um, yeah, my parents instilled in me education, family ties and giving back to the community. And I was always into fashion and like I got that from my mom, definitely mm-hmm. um, always into fashion and um, being trendy and kind of um using my clothes to express who I was, you know, so I like colors, vibrancy, all those, all those good things. So that's my background. Um, and right now I am mid 30 year old woman, just trying to make my mark on the world. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years ago I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So that's kind of what's been my mission ever since then. Um, you know, being that catalyst for young black women to see that we do get breast cancer. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of what we want to discuss today. Um, but w- before we get there, I really want to talk a little bit more about your upbringing because, we, you know, we, we have many people on this show mm-hmm. who are first generation, you know, here in the U.S. And often the push is for like, go to school, you know, get a get a stable job, build a life for yourself. The pageant and modeling thing is actually surprising to me. So yeah. your parents were encouraging if you consider, you know, choosing what might be considered an alternative path. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, thank God my parents were open-minded and really instilling what they saw in me and bringing that out. Mm-hmm. So um, my actually aunt of mine has a great memory of me walking on my tippy toes at like one or two years old. So they put me in dance immediately. Um, and ever since then, I kind of excelled at being on the stage mm-hmm. and um, making people feel good about themselves. So again, if it wasn't dancing, I was modeling. Um, I won the Miss Grenada USA pageant mm-hmm. at 17, which was the youngest um, to ever win the pageant. 
So, wow. um, yeah. So fortunately, my parents were my mom is a nurse and my father is a construction worker. Mm-hmm. So they had like, I guess, the typical um, they always laugh and say Caribbean people are either always nurses or teachers or something right. of that sort. So they had that typical career path. But fortunately enough, they saw something in me and allowed me to um, forge my own path and mm-hmm. forge my own way. So, yeah. So you win the Miss Grenada USA pageant at 17. Yes. What was your vision for your life at that point? Um, Wow. Okay. so I was 17 years old. I was just um, about to start my um, college career at Hofstra University Mm -hmm. that fall. At that time, I think, again, I was really into um, putting Grenada on the map. Mm -hmm. I just knew somehow, some way I was my mom would always say she wanted my name in the stars and and for Grenada to get put on the map. So I wanted my life at that point. I wanted to go to school. I kind of just wanted to live a regular life. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to all girls Catholic school, so I kind of wanted to go to college and party and like, you know, um, of course, get a great education. But I wanted to socialize a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to I had a, a Definitely winning that pageant forced me to work with younger women, mm-hmm. uh, women my age and younger women. So I definitely wanted to give back um, and live in like a tight, close, um, tight knit community with women. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up joining a sorority while I was at college, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. So that really stemmed um, my uh, affinity to working with women and basically giving back to my community. So, yeah. So all that to say is I really wanted to just give back and just kind of live my 17 year old carefree life. Yes. Right. Yeah. So you go to school and then what was the career plan? Um, I was supposed to, well, I, gra- I graduated with a marketing degree. So I just wanted to be um, in business, okay. in the business field um, with a spin on, I knew I wanted to do something creative mm-hmm. as well. Um, so I graduated with a marketing degree. And when I came out of college, it was kind of like, it was a little bit too boring for me. Um, so I had a natural inclination again to, you know, cre- being creative. So I started going into um, different fashion companies and started freelancing, um, styling and okay. things of that sort. Um, so that's kind of how my career kind of builds up into what I am today, which is visual merchandising and um, um, and retails and things of that sort. Okay, so you are moving in your career, doing your thing, moving and shaking mm-hmm. in New York all this time, like. Yes. That's, okay. Yes, so in New York, New York. Mm-hmm. which is, as we all know, fast paced. Yes. Everybody's into there. Yeah. Hustling yes. and bustling. Yes. And then everything changes. Yes. Everything changes. So um, at about so I was 32 years old. Mm-hmm. I can say about the winter of 2015, um, I had just gotten to a really a new relationship. Um, I was thriving in my career. I was at the time a visual merchandiser at Macy's. Mm-hmm. So I was thriving in my career, actually um, developing a plan with my manager to move down to Atlanta to kind of. Um, get a promotion and start there because I that was my plan to move to Atlanta and kind of just rebuild myself and move on. Um, everything was going really good in my career and boom, six days before my 33rd birthday, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. Yeah. So how did that happen? Like, did you feel a lump at home or did this come out of the blue? Okay, so uh, let me rewind back. So about 10 years prior, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, um, she's a breast cancer survivor. Let me just say that. But for some reason, um, I went to the, doc- to the doctor, uh, you know, all the time throughout my 20s mm-hmm. and early 30s. But the doctors told me because I was only 30 or 20s or in my early 30s, I didn't have to get a mammogram. Or I didn't mm-hmm. have to ch- really check my breasts. Although my mom was a breast cancer survivor. I was still young, so they told me not to worry about it. Um... I ended up finding a lump in the shower, Mm -hmm. a really small lump. 
in the shower. I wasn't even looking for it. I was just kind of just bathing and mm -hmm. I found, I felt something. And as soon as I felt it, it was like, I kind of knew, but you didn't, I didn't want my mind to go there. So I kind of put it in the back of my mind and about 10 to 14 days later, it grew. So it was like, okay, something's up. And I ended up telling my mom. And from there, we ended up going to get tested. And they told me at first they said it was stage zero. Um, but through further testing, they said it was stage two breast cancer. Stage two. Yeah. So you didn't call the doctor right away. I did you not. I did not call mm -hmm. the doctor right away. I was I was scared because I kind of knew mm -hmm. what it was. Um, and I was just fearful. I was fearful. And um, I kind of was in denial. And I was like, my breasts, I'm, I have small breasts. How can I get breast mm -hmm. cancer? You know, it was just, I was ignorant. I didn't know. And I, it was just fear. So you go, you find out the stage, it is not only breast cancer, but it's stage two. Mm -hmm. What was going through your your mind and your heart at that point? Um, it was, so what happened was I went to the doctor with a sorority sister of mine who was a nurse mm -hmm. because my mom was out of the country at the time. So we went together. And when the doctor did say, Denise, you have stage two breast cancer, it was kind of like I floated out of my body mm -hmm. and he was like, wah, 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 wah. I didn't really understand what was going on. Thankfully, I had her there and she was like writing down notes and asking questions. Um, I was scared because, you know, at that point in time, I was, I just got into a relationship. I was like in a budding career. Um, you know, I had a lot of plans for myself. And I just, you know, when you first hear something like that, you think it's a death sentence, obviously, you know, because you hear such, even though I had my mom as like someone I can see who lived throughout that that time in her mm -hmm. life and is prospering right now. Um, my mom is like a superwoman to me. And I just felt like I wasn't, um, I wasn't that strong. So it was, it was scary. I was totally scared. I didn't want to believe it at first. Um, and then as soon as they tell you that, it's just, everything is, it's like a whirlwind. You have to act really fast because cancer is fast growing. So yeah. all, everything um, in regards to surgeries and um, preparing me for surgeries and preparing me for chemotherapy had to start really fast. I'm just listening and I'm like, this is overwhelming. Yeah. Just, just hearing, I, I can't imagine. And because you do think about as a woman, they always tell you, don't worry about your mammogram right mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm. you're, you're young. You it's fine. Yeah. You, you know, it's fine. It's fine. It'll be okay. So to get that diagnosis, is the immediate conversation about a mastectomy or or are you looking at alternative options at that point? Um, Let me think about that. So right when I was diagnosed, the first thing that my doctors asked me is if I is if I wanted to have children mm -hmm. or if I had children. I don't have kids, but I definitely do want to have kids in the future. So um, I told my doctors that and they told me that I um, was eligible to basically um, get my eggs frozen mm -hmm. because chemotherapy kills, does damage to your reproductive organs. And I told them, since I want to have kids, let's just figure out a way that we can basically have your eggs on deck, your healthy eggs on deck. So if anything was to happen after chemo, after um, chemo and everything, um, and you don't have any ovaries, we'll have these healthy eggs that we can harvest and work on. So that was the first thing, which I knew nothing about. Because again, when my mom was diagnosed, she was in her 50s. So way past, you know, um, she was in menopause at the time. So, you know, she didn't have to worry about that. But because right. I was in my 30s, 20, you know, in my 30s, um, you know, I'm still at an age when I can, you know, conceive. So that was the first step. So the first step was basically figuring out what they wanted to do with my eggs. Um, and then it was basically my breast cancer treatment, you know, um, for my specific cancer. So basically, although I had stage two breast cancer, everyone's stage two breast cancer is different. You know, um, for me, my doctors decided that basically going through chemotherapy and then having my mastectomies would be best for me. Okay. So that's how they kind of formulated everything. So how long did you go through chemotherapy? Okay, so my chemo was separated into two sessions, if I could say, mm -hmm. just for lack of a better term. Um, the first session was uh, twice a week for six weeks. Mm -hmm. And then the second session was bi-weekly 
um, I think I did that four times. It was a stronger medicine. So they separated. The first one was um, all my cancer survivors and cancer patients would know this. It's called the Red Devil. Um, so the Red Devil was the first segment and then um, I had some other treatments afterwards. So did you immediately like take leave from work and say, okay, this is going to wreck me and I need to, I need to just focus on my health? Or did you try to continue to work? I continued to work up until I just couldn't anymore. Like I absolutely couldn't anymore. It was important for me to kind of try to stay as normal as possible. Mm -hmm. So I would get chemotherapy in the morning and I would be at Macy's carrying around mannequins and hammering ceilings and and fixing um, models at Macy's in the evening. So I did that until I just couldn't physically do it anymore. So, and because I think at this juncture, we all know someone, you know, who has been unfortunately by cancer mm-hmm. and you see how the treatment actually affects them. So I'm trying to picture you running around a retail store, mm-hmm. dragging mannequins, yeah. et cetera. Is it just because you felt like, OK, I need to be doing something else. I don't want to just be focused on this one thing. And did your doctors encourage that? Um, that's exactly why I wanted to work. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why I created Slay Cancer, too, because mm-hmm. Slay Cancer helped me in that it kept me focused on something that wasn't me just being a cancer patient. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I had to go to work. I had bills to pay. Um, and that's a whole other topic that we can discuss yes. about the financial responsibilities. But, you know, I had to get I had to just kind of stay as normal as possible. I still wanted to be fly. I still want to wear makeup. And at that point, I had no hair whatsoever. No eyelashes, no eyebrows, no nothing. I couldn't put nails on, you know, so um, I try to stay as normal as possible. And my doctors basically told me to um, do as much as I can um, in the way that I can and that I felt good. So as soon as I started feeling not so good, I kind of stopped working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since we're talking about working, you brought up the financial piece. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Because, girl, girl, you know, you do hear people who are like, well, I had my savings or I took money out of my 401k or my disability benefits were really good. Mm-hmm. What was your situation? Um. Well, let's just say till this day, I'm still trying to figure out how I'm working on um, my cancer wow. treatments. Um. It's a financial burden, definitely. And I had insurance. I had full insurance coverage with my job, but it still didn't cover half of, um, you know, my treatment mm-hmm. options. Um, post-cancer treatment life, it's in itself, I st- I'm still on medication that I have to take daily, literally for the rest of my life. Wow. So the financial obligations is another aspect that people don't really dis- discuss or talk about. Definitely. So when you're in that situation, right, and you're someone who's been independent and worked a job, been in your career... Are you thinking about the financial aspect at that point or are you just like, I just need to survive? All that other stuff will be worked out later. Um, I would like to say I, I just need to survive, but the financial um, aspect definitely pulls the burden on you because mm-hmm. you have to figure out it's either, unfortunately, it's either I get this treatment or I die. Right. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like I have no choice. You know, so mm-hmm. um, besides the chemotherapy, which costs a lot of money, um, I try to use holistic medicine as well um, that could help me, which I feel like saved my life. And the more I hear these stories, you know, there's always this debate about whether you should be taking holistic routes. Mm-hmm. But the people I know who have come through it, they may have gone the traditional medicine route, but they also had the holistic piece as well. Who's, you know, who's to say, I'm never going to tell someone you shouldn't take chemo, but you know, mm-hmm. there, those, there are those people who's like, I just juiced and it disappeared. Yes. I'm not saying that that 
is the way, but there is mm-hmm. something to be said for people who incorporate that holistic piece in addition to um, that the, the medication or the, the chemo. So what were you doing on the holistic side? Um, so on the holistic side, I was eating a fruit called soursop, mm-hmm. which is um, found in the Caribbean countries. Um, I think warm countries as well. But so basically soursop is an amazing fruit that is delicious. Um, and it's said to have like 10,000 10,000 times more um, powerful agents to kill cancer than chemotherapy. Oh. So I drank soursop tea in morning and night. I still do it to this day. I, I ate soursop candies, soursop juice, um, moringa tea as well. They're different. I form, firmly believe that for every illness there is out there, there's some type of holistic um, medicine for us, some type of holistic cure, mm-hmm. some type of plant that we can, you know, in the Caribbean, we, we basically boil down everything and drink it. Yes. You know what I mean? So like at some point, there's going to be something that I can get from the earth that's going to help me. So like you said, there's some people who have who I think my mom would have killed me if I said I'm just going to juice and that's it, mm-hmm. you know. But like I know some people who have just gone the holistic route and are not fine and some people who have and aren't, you know. So it kind right. of just depends on the person and, and your personality and, and, and you know, your stance on it. Mm-hmm. But I did both. I did chemotherapy and I did the, the style stop and holistic, the holistic route as well. So you left your job um, or, you know, took a leave to address your illness, doing the holistic route, taking the traditional treatments. Mm-hmm. When did you decide in this process that I want to help other women and I want to put a spot a positive spin on this and I'm launching a brand? When did you decide that? Um, I decided that, honestly, I think I, I was uh, diagnosed on January 6th around like February, end of February, my hair started falling out. And I think around that time, um, speaking with my boyfriend at the time and, you know, he was really, he's into graphic and mm-hmm. graphic design. And, you know, I think I had the creative and fashion aspect of it. And we kind of, I told him what I, I wanted to help women in some way, somehow. Um, and we kind of put our little ideas together and came up with Slay Cancer. Um, and at that point, I realized that being, um, open about my illness and what I was going through on social media and like um, and speaking to people randomly on the street was shockingly shocking to me, like really helping people. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't believe like strangers were DMing me and at telling me how much I helped them and, and asking me questions. And I realized that, wow, me being so open about what I was going through was helping somebody else. Mm-hmm. And 10 years before when my mom was diagnosed, she was she's totally opposite for me in that in that way. She was very secretive and didn't really want people knowing. But I felt like this was my time to basically um, use what I was going through to help other women. So from the very beginning, I created Slay Cancer and it kind of launched from there. You brought up an interesting point because I think particularly in the Black community, we are very private about mm-hmm. illness, mm-hmm. About anything. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're just saying, yeah, it's just what goes on in this house stays in this house kind of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you would think sometimes with cancer that it was something someone did to get it because mm-hmm. they, they refused they to make, talk about mm-hmm, it, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's something you brought on okay. yourself. Mm-hmm. Was there exactly. ever a moment in, in this journey while you were being a pu- so public about it where you said, this is a little bit too much to share? Uh, I would say, I think there was some times when I would share things about um, my relationship or going through cancer and being in a relationship Mm -hmm. um, and those aspects um, with like my family, Mm -hmm. you know, but like with friends and like people my my age group, I feel like I could talk more freely about, but like in regards to, I'm I'm just going to put out their sex, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that was a a hard part for me to deal with. And also just the simple fact that bearing children may be difficult for me. You know, that's something where like I'm open, but it's something that I don't want to be too open about because I'm a little nervous and scared that if I maybe talk about it too much that it may not come true or it may yeah. not go in the way that I wanted to, you know? So I would say those aspects were a little bit, it was like, okay, I don't mean I want to say that. Um, but pretty much I'm pretty open mm-hmm. with everything. Cause I, 
just want to help as much people as I can that look like us. Right. So you brought up the relationship aspect. So now we're going to talk about yeah, the I one thing. Yeah, we, we could go there. So <laughs> the minute you said that you were in a relationship at the time mm-hmm. and your handsome fiance is, is here with <laughs> yes, us, but I presume yes. this is... Yes, that's him. Yes. That was okay. the boyfriend that was the boyfriend. Fiance, okay. Yes. So I feel like he needs to like get on the mic, but we're going to let you tell the story, <laughs> <don't> right? <laughs> um, when you hear these stories of someone who's young, not married, hasn't have, had kids yet and, and gets such a devastating diagnosis, often it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it may be because the other party, they want to stay and be a part, but they don't know how to support and the stressors around the financial piece, the mm-hmm. fertility piece, et cetera. Or, you know, people who are going through illness sometimes can be mean, you know, or Man. just irritable or impatient or Very true. projecting the anger that they have about it or the pain on the people that care about them. So was that difficult, maintaining a relationship and a healthy one while you are trying to get healthy physically? Yes, I'm I'm going to say it was and mm-hmm. it is. Um, still. Be- yeah, it still mm-hmm. is because I'm going to say that I'm completely blessed um, that I met. Well, I re-met him. So we met in college mm-hmm. and we kind of lost contact. We dated in college for a little bit, lost contact. Um, 15 years later, we ended up reconnecting a few months before my diagnosis. Okay. So when I was diagnosed, I remember asking him like, or kind of giving him like the way out. Like, listen, this is what happened. This is what's going on with me right now. You can you can dip at this point because mm-hmm. it's going to get hard. And at that point, we were in a long distance relationship. Mm. So at that point, it's like, okay, you know, I'm not going to be able to see you as often as I could or the plans that we had um, may be deterred because of what I'm going through right now. So this is your time to dip. And he was just like, I'm not going anywhere. And he's the one that kind of pushed me to like, you know, knowing that he made me feel like you're going to be good. We're going to be good. We're going to get through this together. Um, so again, I'm blessed with, I was blessed to have that person in my, to have him in my corner then and now. Um, dealing with the anger Unfortunately, he's very patient with me mm-hmm. because and not only with him, but like my friends, you know, there's you know, my, my sorority sisters that I'm really close with. There are times that I'm, I'm angry and I can't even explain to them why, you know, and fortunately I'm getting emotional. Fortunately um, and unfortunately, they have family members who have gone through cancer. So they are a little bit um, attuned to how to deal with me. Um, but it's a daily struggle to basically not internalize what I'm going through um, and to communicate effectively and express to them, my fiance, friends, family, um, what I'm going through without putting it on them, mm-hmm. you know, because you tend to put you tend to basically, you know, when you're going through something, you you, you put out that negativity or whatever you're feeling on the people closest to you. Right. Um, so thankfully, I'm, I have a village of love around me and they've been very patient. So thank God for that. So going back to tying that back into the brand, right? You're, you're having your moments where there's anger or maybe resentment or maybe even like, why did this happen to, to me? me? Yeah. But you're also using this this experience as a movement to empower other women. So what did the, the Slay Cancer brand look like at the time? Was it merchandise? Was it events? Um, yeah. So when we first came up with the Slay Cancer movement, it was really more... So we all know that, well, maybe we don't all know, but when you're diagnosed with cancer, some people go through chemotherapy, which which um, makes your hair fall out. Mm-hmm. So again, there was a time when I had no hair, eyebrows, lashes, nothing. And I wanted to basically come up with some cute dad hats or something where I can rock some some gear where people would say like, oh, you have cancer? Like, mm-hmm. how could you look have cancer and have heels on and makeup? And you know what I mean? And start the conversation like that. So there's a lot of women who were in my cancer treatment center wearing my slate cancer hat. So it started with merch, um, started with fashion and, and starting a conversation 
education there. And then it went to blogging. Um, then I started doing events. Um, then I started like reaching out to different organizations so we could collaborate together um, to come up with different programs. So it started out with merch. Yeah. So how were you dealing with that where you're meant to be this beacon of light, but also a poster child in a sense, but then behind the scenes, having those moments where you can't even articulate your negative feelings around it. How did you manage kind of literally living in two worlds almost? Yeah, um, I'm still managing today. It's kind of basically I have to grit and bear it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I feel like God gave me this mission, you know, to basically help other people and giving him the glory all the while. So I have I have no choice mm-hmm. but to basically um, be that person, be that beacon of light for other people um, while I'm going through my own space. You know, and I try to decom you know, I try to like separate everything, you know, um, my sleep cancer brand. Of course, that's me all the time. But there's sometimes where I'm like, like you said, it's just like, why me? You mm-hmm. know, like, why do I have to be the one to go through this? Why can't I just, you know, um, have a baby like that or, you know, whatever the case is. But everyone has to cross to bear. Like mine may be cancer. Yours could be something else. His mm-hmm. could be something else. Everyone has to cross to bear. And mine just happens to be breast cancer. So that's kind of how I have to like deal with it. Yeah. What was your rock bottom day while going through treatment, trying to get to a place of remission? Did you have one day that stands out for you as um, as your weakest, I should say? Um, I don't know about one particular day. Mm-hmm. I do remember moments where I had like FOMO, like fear of missing out or like wishing I was there. Like I remember one of my closest sorority sisters had a um, 35th birthday party and she means the world to me. And, you know, under any other circumstance, I would have been there with her, maybe mm-hmm. helping her plan. But because I physically couldn't, like, I just hurt all over my, I just felt like the worst thing ever. And I couldn't mm-hmm. make it there. I think those moments where um, normally I would have been there or normally I would have done that. Normally I would have wore this or wore that and realizing that my life is totally different and would forever be different. Those moments where it was just kind of like the rock bottom, rock bottom. Definitely. And let's talk about the the forever piece, too, because I think mm-hmm. from the outside, those of us who not, have not been through it, we think like you look healthy, you look mm-hmm. amazing, you're glowing mm-hmm. you're in this loving relationship. Mm-hmm. You still have this brand and all these things, but like you're great, but not really knowing that there are, I'm sure, on, ongoing monitoring that has to happen. Of course. The medication you're talking about, et cetera, et cetera. So especially I think it's important for educating us as, mm-hmm. as black women. I do want to talk about um, what to advocate for in terms of early detection, what we should be looking out for um, from an early piece. But then I also want to get into your, your journey now and what that looks like and maintaining your health as well. So when when your doctor and, and all the studies are telling you, you don't need a mammogram, you, you, you don't need to worry about this at, at this age, what is your message to the 30-year-old Black woman? Black breasts matter. Mm-hmm. Point blank, period. You know your body more than any doctor, more than any significant other, anybody. You know your body. So I would basically advocate basically being proactive about your health. So that means checking your breasts once a month and not listening to doctors when they say, you don't have to take that test. You don't have to worry about that. You know, like again, you know your body more than anyone else. So um, I started, well, I didn't start, sorry. There's, there's a social media influencer who started an initiative called Feel It On The First. Mm-hmm. So what happens is every month she basically advocates for everyone to feel their breasts on the first of the month. Um, I like to take it a step further just because for sometimes the first of the month you may forget there's a lot yeah. of things going on. Um, I use, I like to take the, my birth date. So I'm born on January 12th. So on the 12th of every month, I make sure I check my breasts mm-hmm. so that I can and write down what you feel. Some women have 
um, naturally dense breasts where they have natural lumps that's in that that's always been there. Um, but, you know, if if I know I normally don't have lumps and all of a sudden I have a lump and then I check next month and it's still there and it's got bigger, then I know that's something I need to basically go to my doctor with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just saying being proactive and just knowing your body. And for those who are going through treatment right now um, and trying to figure out how to just be comfortable and find some semblance of peace. What were your coping mechanisms? You know, you had this brand that you were working on, but what were other things that you were doing to feel some sense of normalcy? Normalcy? Um, I was still going out with my girls. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still going to Barclays Center, watching games. I was traveling. I was I was still trying to maintain like who Denise was outside of being a cancer patient at the time mm-hmm. um, and someone who's going through cancer and going through chemotherapy treatments because at the end of the day, I, I think I had my mom there as someone I saw go through it and yeah. came out on the other side. You know, so that's why I felt like I needed to be that person via social media um, that people can say, oh, shoot, she went through the same thing as I was. And she was younger than me or older than me and brown, just like me. And you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, you know, like to get dressed and do certain things just like me. Um, so I just think kind of maintaining that normalcy and trying to be who I was and continue being who I was, although I had physical and, and pain and um, emotional pain as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure even if it's stage two and you you saw your mom who beat it, it, it forces you to face your own mortality yeah. in, a, in, a, in a sense. And, and I think while I have not been through that, in my mind, there are two things that can happen from that. And mm-hmm. that is living in an either intense fear or living a life with no regrets mm-hmm. and trying to maximize potential, knowing that our days we all have a day exactly. where we're going to leave here. Yes, yes. Um, do you feel that that has intensified your drive to achieve and really manifest the dreams that you have for your life? A 110%, mm-hmm. definitely. Like you said, it's either you go, it's like zero to 100. Like either you live a life of like complete fear where you're standing still thinking I can die at any moment mm-hmm. or you're like, you know what? I can die at any moment. Let mm-hmm. me live my life and do what I want to do. Go on vacations, book that trip, you know, um, continue education, like love that person, whatever you feel like you need to do um, that you want to do, do it. And I feel like I have main, I have to figure out some days I have to figure out um, if I'm going to live that life that's, um, you know, 100 percent where I'm just doing whatever I want to do, because there's there's. Um, disappointments and fear in that as well. You know, Mm -hmm. just kind of living a life that's kind of out there and not having any repercussions because I feel like I can die tomorrow. I don't want to be that far right. Um, So basically kind of having like a happy medium where I face my mortality. So I realized that while I can really die at any moment, but I also, because of that, facing that that mortality, I want to live, you know? Um, It's it's a, every day it's a battle. Every day, some days I wake up like, why me? Um, Most days I wake up um, feeling like I have a, a next lease on life, though. So thank God for that. And I want to talk about your brand, which is so great, not just because it's amazing and it's slick and it's, it's fun and it's empowering, but also in relation to some of the other large organizations that, that are out there in contrast, because mm-hmm. one of the controversial things that a lot of people don't realize is that there are names that we all know, Susan G. Komen, mm-hmm. et cetera, mm-hmm. um, that are known for the millions of dollars that they raise and all the things, the walks, all of that. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you realize that a lot of the money that is being raised is not allocated to... Mm-hmm. Goes <laughs> a lot of pockets. Exactly. It's not yeah. allocated to what you would think it would be allocated to. Mm-hmm. Did you do a lot of research around resources, like trying to get help? What was your 
exposure to what those of us on the outside think are really great things. But now I know Mm -hmm. that um, they're not as helpful as they seem on the surface. Well, um, unfortunately, that's very true. Mm -hmm. When I was first diagnosed, I can say that night, of course, the first thing you do is Google. Mm -hmm. So I Googled um, breast cancer and literally all the faces that I saw were all white faces, Mm -hmm. you know, especially older women, older white faces. That's all I saw. So I decided to say um, I put in like breast cancer with young black women and I couldn't really find, you know, I found statistics and I found, you know, real facts and, you know, things of that sort. But I couldn't find anything like anything personal where I can be like, okay, this young woman was a woman who was from an inner city, you know, like Brooklyn and who loved loved reggae and soca music and, you know, um, like to hang out with her friends and then got diagnosed with breast cancer. I couldn't find a story like that. I couldn't find someone I can relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, they're, you know, the Susan G. Coleman's and no shade to them at all because they do do amazing work. But um, what I find is that they kind of geared to a certain um, uh, demographic of women that's not us. Mm-hmm. So that kind of forced me, propelled me again to create a brand like Slate Cancer where, you know, we can feel comfortable in having this discussion um, about young women getting breast cancer. So... When you think about, you mentioned your friends and your family and the way that they supported you, this kind of thing, it can be hard for people to know what to do mm-hmm. or, or what to say. Um, and, and I think often most people default to treating the person as really weak and fragile mm-hmm. and not really knowing how to have fun or whether they should joke or, mm-hmm. you know, lighten the mood or what have you. What do you say to those who are around, who are around especially their young, you know, Black sister friends mm-hmm. who are going through this? How What is a, a way to adequately support them? I think just being a listening ear mm-hmm. because... Um, I don't want to speak for every young woman that's gone through breast cancer, but I can say that we don't want to be treated as fragile or treated as weak. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say being a listening ear because, you know, our friends, my friends, they can listen to me, but they won't know exactly what I'm going through. You know what I mean? But if I'm able to vent to them and at least tell them, you know, this morning I don't feel well physically or this morning I feel like I'm just really mad at life, you know, just being someone, just being there for them as an Mm -hmm. ear to listen to, maybe not even speaking, just someone that they can vent to. I think that's very, 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 important. And do you feel um, that it's important to, or were you interacting with other survivors as well? Like, you know, some people go to support groups mm-hmm. and, and do all those other things that you have that support system also? Yes, definitely. Um, besides my mom, mm-hmm. um, besides my mother who I had there, who's a cancer survivor, who's because of my, my, my diagnosis opened up our relationship, like in ways I can never imagine. Um, because of social media, I met so many young women who've, who've been diagnosed with breast cancer younger than I was, who've had kids and, you know, um, who had to deal with the things I had to deal with. So, yes, women on social media who've become great friends of mine, who I've really never met. A lot of them I've never met in person um, or support groups that I have went through that were um, given from my, my cancer center. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of places where I found, um, you know, support from with women going through the same thing I was going through. Yeah. And where are you on your health journey now? Um, well, I am 100% cancer-free. Um, I believe you can't really say remission until five years, and I've okay. only been cancer-free for three years now. My chemoversary was actually on my best friend's birthday, which is June 22nd, wow. which is last week. Yes, mm-hmm. so I celebrate that every year. Um, so yeah, so again, life after cancer, like I was saying before, is a feat in itself because although my hair is growing and like my nails are good and my lashes are back, there's still things internally we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in regards to medications. And I was reading something the other day and they were saying having life after cancer is like a stranger coming up to you um, with a gun to your back saying, I can basically pull this trigger at any moment for the rest of your life. How are you going to deal with this? You know, so that's basically my life after cancer. Um, but again, I'm still here and I'm flourishing. And even stories like times like this where I can share my story with you and with thousands of people, it gives me hope to know that I'm going to help someone else. Right. You know what I mean? So this is what it's about. So what was that day like that, that you found out you were cancer free? Oh, my gosh, girl. <laughs> I mean, I like to party, you know, even <laughs> no, even oh, seriously, even when I had before chemo could take my hair, mm -hmm. um, a friend of mine helped put together an event where I basically had a barber. I went to a barbershop. I had friends and family. We had food, drinks, um, and I had her him cut my hair. So it was like a really cool experience. Mm -hmm. We had a DJ. So I kind of like to have fun. So my last chemo um, day, my fiance was there with me. Also, one of my sorority sisters who was like really close to me was there. Um, and I got to ring the bell and everyone knows... Um, um, once you're going through chemo and you have that last day, they allow mm -hmm. you to ring a bell to basically signify your last day of chemotherapy. So it was just, it was an out-of-body experience. Um, I look back on it today and I can really cry because, you know, you think about, you know, when I think about the beginning of that year, it was like, I would have never known this is what I was going through. Right. And I'm actually on the other side of it, you know? So it's, it's very empowering. Very empowering. So you are engaged. I am. Now. So this relationship not only survived, that situation is thriving. Definitely. Did that engagement happen after, happen after you were cancer-free? Yes. So mm -hmm. I got engaged the beginning of this year, like okay. a day before, no, day mm -hmm. after my birthday. Um, so again, I feel like going through my cancer treatment while dating definitely um, strengthened our relationship in ways that maybe it wouldn't you know, other relationships can't even fathom. Yeah, it's not quite a vacation. Like, it's yeah, not exactly. like, it's like, not like oh, we went on our first trip together. Yeah, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's not like peaches and keen yeah. and like, you know, so shallow. It's like really, really deep. It forces mm -hmm. us, it forced us to um, really delve into the deepness of our relationship in the er, in the beginning. And, um, you know, we have our moments just like other relationships, but I feel like we, at this point, we feel like we can get through anything. Of course. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I was cancer-free when he popped the question, you know? So when mm -hmm. you were going through the process... Was there a moment where you're like, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person? Did that epiphany happen for you while you were going through the process or was that something that happened later? Um, yeah, definitely when I was, I remember one like time, I'm going to get emotional. <clears throat> one time I was really having a really, really like down moment and you know, slay cancer and I'm out and about mm. with the hats and the t-shirts and the merch and all that. So everyone sees me being really strong on social media and Instagram and all that sort. But you know, when you get home and you take all that stuff out and you know, you unleash of, you know, all that, all those emotions, you have that one person there. And I remember him basically, he makes me feel like no matter, you're going to get through this, mm -hmm. you know? And I remember him basically giving me a talk one day and he just, it kind of snapped, you know, where it was just like, oh, he's, he's that person for me, mm -hmm. you know? So from that moment early on in our relationship, I was just like, okay, I think he's the one. Did you tell him that? Or were you like, I'm going to just keep that to myself? Mm, I kind of like, I had to play hard to get, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, yeah, no, um, no, we were very, we, we communicate very easily. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he knew, I told, you know, we kind of spoke about this being a lasting relationship early, early, mm -hmm. early. Yeah. So let's talk about um, some of the tactical points of la literally launching a brand while you're going through illness. So we have people that come on the show all the time and they're like, oh, I you know, invested this money. I had this much in savings and I put 10 grand into starting this clothing line or this. You're in a situation where you got bills coming in. Mm -hmm. you, you're away from your job for a period of time. How do you even have business savvy to launch 
a product line and throw events when your financial situation or your your career has a level of instability at this point? Yeah. Um, Lord, Lord knows. Honestly, I would have to say is the support from family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my fiance, he's graduated a business degree as well, and he's very much into um business tactics and all those things. So he really mm-hmm. helped me a lot in regards to that end. Um But I would have to say it's really it was really a learning as you go kind of deal. Mm -hmm. You know, like we developed the the design and then we decided I had like a little photo shoot. I had some friends like I have a big, really like great network Mm -hmm. um, with my sorority sisters and just being in the creative field. Like I reached out to a lot of people who were willing to help me. Um, Photographers, you know, designers, makeup artists. Like I had so many people in my village that basically helped me get to where I am right now. Mm -hmm. And that brand is continuing. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about some of the things that you're doing today with this late cancer brand. Okay, so um, we're definitely in the in the middle of rebranding Slay Cancer. Mm-hmm. So basically by breast cancer, we're in, we're in this month in October. We have something new okay. um, and exciting for everyone. Um, we're working with My Cancer Center um, in developing a Slay Cancer Day or Slay Day for mm-hmm. women who are going through breast cancer treatments. Um, I've also traveled to Grenada and had a um, Slay Cancer Day at the Grenada Cancer Center mm-hmm. where I basically spoke about my treatment, my um, my experience and, and how we can move forward with uh, developing proactive um, um, healthcare practices for women of color. Um, it's just a lot of blogging. I'm getting into more blogging and um, I'm speaking uh, at different events now and, you know, just making um, my presence known. Mm-hmm. And why do you think we as Black women are left out of the conversation so much? I mean, we see all the promo shots and it's, you know, this woman with her hands in the air and, you know, no hair in the pink, but she is, mm-hmm. as you said, a middle-aged white woman. Yeah. Why are we not as much of a focal point? Um, I mean, I think as black women, number one, I feel like we put everyone else ahead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like we take care of our um, husbands and our children, you know, and like we bear the burden of the world. So it's like everybody else before us, you mm-hmm. know. So really, um, statistic wise, statistics wise, black and white women, we get cancer at the same rate. But black women are more likely to die um, because it's um, found later on in the staging. So really, um, I think it's about us basically putting everyone else ahead of ourselves and not taking care of our bodies and being proactive about our bodies. And I mean, the fact that you you said, I'm astounded by this idea that you felt this lump and it had grown in like two weeks. Yes. That, that's not what you think. I mean, you hear about an aggressive form of cancer, mm-hmm. but no one thinks that in two weeks um, that a, a lump can, can change in size. And for most of us, especially Black women, I think, it's like, I'll, I'll get to that when I get to exactly. it. We're not rushing. So much going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you have work, you have school, you have so much going on, bills to pay. Like, you're like, I'll get to it when I get to it. Mm-hmm. And let me just make it clear that my breast cancer formed in itself in a lump where I could feel it. Right. It was under my armpit. So I go, I wasn't looking for it. I have small breasts. So um, it was something that was, I'm, I'm fairly small. So mm-hmm. it was something I just like felt, you know, off the, off the jump. But there's some um, women whose breast cancer developed themselves, um, via fluid from their nipples mm-hmm. or like um, the skin changing color or, you know, there's certain things. That's why it's very important to know your body. Right. You know, so, um, yeah. So because of the lump, you know, I decided, oh, cancer cells are fast growing, mm-hmm. which is why um, your hair falls out. Hair's, um, hair and your nails are affected as well from chemotherapy um, because cancer cells are fast growing. So within two weeks, my my the, the lump grew and I just knew automatically that something was up. And, you know, I think we also have to do a better job, even as women, 
of saying, okay, no, you're going, I'm going with you Mm -hmm. and this is happening. Like we're not, we're not waiting, like drop everything and let's focus on this. Exactly. So again, and that's what Slay Cancer is about, Mm -hmm. is about making that conversation normal. Like, hey girl, you went to get your lashes done. Yeah, cool. When are you getting your mammogram? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, let me go with you. Like we're about to go to this to go buy these shoes or we're going to go shopping. Okay, let's also go to the doctor. Let's also make sure we do this and do that. And did you get your, did you check your breasts this month? You Mm -hmm. know, it's it's making that conversation normal. That's what it's about. And and I, I was looking in my health insurance policy for something else. Mm -hmm. But I realized that they allow for a mammogram for women who are younger, Mm -hmm. not even 40 yet, but it's not something that's That's proactively offered to you. But it is there. It's definitely there, yeah. um, And not that you're coming from a place of fear, like, you know, I have to do this. What if something is there? But being informed and knowing that this is a very real real reality that everybody's not 50. Exactly. When they they are diagnosed. When they are diagnosed, exactly. And again, um, I've met women that are younger than me in their teens that have breast cancer. Mm -hmm. You know, you also feel like, oh, you have to have a certain... You have to have like maybe a C C plus uh, mm-hmm. B, uh, cup to get breast cancer. Yeah. You know, I I thought my breasts were too small to get breast cancer. You know, mm-hmm. even though my mom was a breast cancer survivor, I just feel like it couldn't happen to me because again, I'm I took you know I had a you know a menial. I had good health. You know, there was nothing really, I had nothing to complain about before my breast cancer um, diagnosis. I was pretty good in regards to exercise and eating right and, um, you know, and taking care of my body. I was pretty good with that. So it was something I was like, no, I could never get cancer, right. you know. Um, but again, black women, young black women do get breast cancer. And when did you get to the point where you're like, I'm, I'm going back to work? Like, I'm in, I feel good. I'm cancer free. I'm going to get back to my career. When did I get back to that? Um... I don't even know. It wasn't even like, it was kind of like a time where I was like, okay. Oh, it was after my surgery. Mm-hmm. So after I had my mastectomies, um, yeah, after I had my mastectomies and I realized I can actually move, I was like, no, I felt like I was too, like, still. I had mm-hmm. to get to work and kind of, like, get back into the world and kind of, you know, get back into society. And and I even at work, I'm always talking about my breast cancer. And, you know, a lot of women are like, you know, a lot of people at my jobs are like, wow, how could you have breast cancer? And then we get the conversation started, mm-hmm. you know, so I had to get back into the world. How did you overcome body image issues or this idea that like this part of me is now gone right and there are reconstructive surgeries and all these things but especially as a young woman Mm -hmm, right you mm -hmm. you're in your prime when Mm -hmm. this when this happened you're in shape got a nice body you are someone who was a pageant queen Mm -hmm. and now saying okay cut them off how did you deal with the aftermath of that wow i i think i'm still dealing with it Mm -hmm. um Thankfully, before my um, breast cancer diagnosis, I've always um, had self-esteem that kind of drew from the inside of me. So Mm -hmm. really, I think my self-esteem has to do with like who I am as a person, Mm -hmm. not really how I look. Like, I feel like it it, the glow comes from from inside of me. Um, And again, being around that positive village, you know, people who told, you know, people who are instilling positive, um, positive affirmations to me is what made me feel like, you know, I can do this. Also, Again, it was social media, mm-hmm. um, being in groups on social media and seeing other women go through it as well. And, you know, I feel like I've I've came out on the good side of things. You know, there's other women who've had who didn't get their breasts. Um, so basically, I have silicone um, mm-hmm. and, you know, injections in my body. Um, so there's some women who decided not to get breasts implanted back into their body. Some women have one breast. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Some people have no nipples. Some people have one nipple. Like some people put tattoos over their nipples. You know, it's a it, it's we're not so 
um, it's not so, so big of a deal. I feel like once I started doing some research and I realized that there's a community of women out there with without breasts because of breast cancer, I felt a little more comfortable in my skin. Um, and yeah, again, you know, in regards to my sexuality, my fiance doesn't make me feel any sort of way. He makes me feel like I'm beautiful inside and out. My friends make me feel like I'm beautiful inside and out. So it's just having that positivity and those affirmations around you. I think that's what helped me. Mm-hmm. For sure. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what does your life look like now? Um, right now, um, again, like I said, I'm really excited because I just got mm-hmm. engaged. So mm-hmm. I'm really moving towards um, that next phase of my life as a woman. Um, moving forward in my career, um, you know, Right now, I'm going on vacations and planning some mm-hmm. trips here and there. And just it's really about basically moving my brand forward and and bringing it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, I plan on opening a actual brick and mortar store, really? retail store. Yes. Um, that focuses on clothing for women with breast cancer. So like special bras, special types of tank tops, you know, that with no underwire, um, things of that sort. And you're still involved in the fashion world. Yes, as definitely. Well. So yes, what yes. kind of work are you doing now? Um, well, right now I'm working with Rebecca Minkoff and I'm doing um, customer experience. I'm working with women on, you know, how they like their clothing fitting and all mm-hmm. those, those sorts of things. So I'm in the corporate world, but I'm also I'm still doing freelance styling. Um, I just got... Um, I just worked on a uh, modeling, a fashion, working on a fashion show um, a few weeks ago, modeling. So I just got back on stage again. So I okay. feel like I'm just starting to get back into my body. Um, yes, I'm still, I'm still me. I'm still trying to maintain who Denise was before breast cancer, like BC mm-hmm. before cancer. So you're trying to maintain who who you were with a very real understanding of not only what you went through, but what you mentioned, this gun in your back. Do you struggle with fear that it could return? Yes, I definitely do. Um, It's not every day, Mm -hmm. but there are definitely days where I'm like mad at the world and I can't explain it to anybody. You know, um, it's, you know, it's it's hard knowing that this is something that can come back because, like I said, social media makes um, the breast cancer community smaller. But then you have connections with people who you were going through this fight together and who lost the battle. You know, so there's plenty of times where I open up Instagram in the morning and I see that another one of my breast cancer sisters, you know, has passed away or whose cancer has come has come back. So it makes me feel like, damn, what makes them different from me? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they were diagnosed after me and it came back or they had stage one and it came back at stage four you know, or a different kind of cancer. It's just, it's just kind of, it's just one of those things where I can't focus on that, you know, like, because it it would just bring me down a rapid hole of depression, negativity. And if I focus on that, then I would go nowhere. So it's a thought. It's definitely thoughts that happen um, that come across my mind. But again, it's something I just can't focus on. And how do you force yourself to not focus on it? How do you turn that, that switch before you're down the rabbit hole? Um, I talk, I communicate to loved ones how I'm feeling. I'll send a text message and they'll know. Again, I think my village is amazing, you know, from my fiance to my parents to my sorority sisters and friends, um, my family who my friends turn family. Mm -hmm. um, They're just there for me. And I feel like communicating with them and their patience and understanding um, helped me. And honestly, it's God praying, praying it through and and basically knowing that, you know, He's never going to disappoint me. Like, although I'm going through this time in life, like everything happens for a reason. And, you know, maybe that reason was for me to help somebody else, you know? Mm -hmm. So. And what I think is important that you mentioned is talking about it 
And when you're talking about staying healthy, for anybody, an important piece of staying healthy is not internalizing. Exactly. Because that that mind-body connection, oh. the way that we house stress in our mm-hmm. body and how it manifests in ailments and illness, illnesses, it's actually more important when you've been through something like this, I think, to communicate and make sure you get that out. Very true. Very, and very true. I think we as a people need to learn how to be more honest with ourselves about negative feelings. Mm-hmm. And we do, I think personally, I believe we do a better job of working through them if we're willing to acknowledge them and be honest about it. Very true. You don't have to, you know, pretend to have joy every day if it's not there. Exactly. It's okay to say, I'm pissed off today. Yeah, and that's and that also do with our mental health, mm-hmm. you know, and that's really, that's a big part of the post-cancer treatment as well, your mental health and having someone to talk to and knowing that everything's not going to be perfect every day. But, you know, knowing that, again, I, this is my cross to bear and you have your cross the right. you know? So if you put it kind of in simple terms like that, then it's easier to get through. Mm-hmm. So I feel like your whole story answers this question, but tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. <laughs> I haven't had an ordinary day since January 6th, 2016, mm-hmm. sorry. So honestly, I feel like every day is an extraordinary day for me. Every day that I wake up and, you know, although I have ailments and neuropathy in my fingers and toes and I have um, stinging pains in my back from my surgeries or, um, you know, or I see another friend of mine who's gotten pregnant and I don't know if my situation is going to be the same. Every day I have like that is an extraordinary day for me because it's an, a day, another day I have breath in my body and um, a reason to live. Absolutely. And I think you brought up two things that I'm, I've just learned and been educated on in the last um, probably year or so is all of the lingering effects on your body, even though you're cancer free. Mm-hmm. Your joints might not be the same. I've seen people get hip replacements, mm-hmm. all of these things that change because you've been through this experience. Yes. So it's almost like you're you, but not. Yes. And I'm a, it's anymore. like I'm you, even like some things, so that, some foods that I loved before chemo, I can't even eat anymore. Wow. You know, like my, my, my taste, my taste has changed. You know, it's, it's just really crazy how mm-hmm. like this, this, Thing has changed you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Not only with the chemotherapy and the and the, the drug treatment, but like what it does to your body uh, mentally and, you know, psychologically and all those things. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, people may hear this and say, well, at least, you know, you froze your eggs, not really understanding fully how that works. So like you, you could freeze eggs, but I'm sure they give you all the information to tell you this is not a guarantee. Of course. You, we may try to fertilize them and find out they're not viable. Exactly. Or yes. we may fertilize them and implant them through IVF and then the pregnancy is not viable. Mm-hmm. There's all these steps before you really get to carrying a baby to term. Exactly. So that's another thing that mm-hmm. another, I mean, once I get to that bridge, I'll cross it. But yeah. That's something else that I have to deal with at some point, you mm-hmm. know? So I'm very grateful that I was able to save my legs, um, Sorry, save my eggs, definitely. But, you know, a lot of things can happen. So I'm just having my fingers crossed for that, for when that time comes. Right. And staying positive and having faith. Exactly. And knowing that your story is written for you. Exactly. You know, and and one of the things that we say on the show, I I say it as I believe God wants good things for us, even even through the hardship Mm -hmm. and everything in our lives. And you you do ask sometimes, like, why is this happening to that person? You know, they're so good. They don't deserve it. But all of us, you know, you said earlier in the interview that, you know, you knew earlier on that you wanted to impact women. Mm-hmm. Who knew it had to be, this had to be a part of your story. Exactly. And it's so crazy you say that mm-hmm. because I remember a few years before my diagnosis, I was kind of going through a hard time with my mom. Mm-hmm. And I remember praying to God, ask him to basically open our relationship up, you know, and connect us in a way that I never um, felt we could connect in. And I asked God to use me you know, in whatever way he saw fit. And like you said, who knew this was going to be the way? But I just have faith in knowing that 
he's going to bring me through to, to the other side. Mm-hmm. Point blank, period. And what mm-hmm. do you want your legacy to be? Wow. I want my legacy to be, um, I want everyone to remember Denise as someone who cared for people in whatever mm-hmm. way that was. Um, if it was from, again, with caring through slate cancer or caring through um, the orphanages I gave back to in Grenada or um, basically just being a good person, mm-hmm. just being a good person and just imparting um, my goodness onto the world. And can people buy Slay Cancer merchandise today? Of course they can. Head over to slaincancer.com. You can get your, your Slay Cancer merch. We have stickers, buttons, hats, um, sweaters, um, T-shirts. We have anything you can ask for, we have. And we have much more things coming up as well. And outside of the website, where can they follow you? Okay, you can follow me on IG at Slaying Cancer. On mm-hmm. Facebook as well, Slaying Cancer. See, I, I think your story is just getting started. And I think there's so much more to unfold, particularly around Black women and self-care and vulnerability um, and health and wellness. There's so much more that I think you're going to do. I, I honestly believe that this is the, the tip of the iceberg for you. Thank you so much, my dear. I really appreciate that. And I I believe that 100 percent as well. Yeah, I feel like a a lot, a lot is coming uh, for you. And um, I'm just going to sit back and watch. Yes. From your lips to God's ears. Yes. We need it. And, and, you know, just even being in a platform like this Mm -hmm. where black women can speak openly and freely. I think that's very important um, for us to talk about not only, you know, not only uh, surface things like relationships and like you know, TV shows and things mm-hmm. and, you know, what's going on in the world, you know, because a lot going on in the world, but interpersonally, like, you know, in our health and um, how we treat our bodies and how we treat ourselves. I think it's important that we speak um, openly with each other. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're here to support and keep the conversation going. So when you when you launch those new things, you have to come back. And oh, talk I'll be about back here. I will sure. be back here. Definitely. Yes. And to our listeners, go support the Slay Cancer movement by the merchandise. We really need to, to do a better job of supporting our own yes. and investing back in our own community to my sisters. Go ahead. Yeah. Can I say one thing? Yeah. I just want to recognize um, all of my cancer slayers out there, mm-hmm. people who've been diagnosed with breast cancer and other cancers. Um, and just let it be known that it's not only people who've been diagnosed with cancer that are the cancer slayers, but all of our people who are taking care of us, our friends and mm-hmm. family and our villages that are surrounding us, we're all cancer slayers too. You know, anyone that's putting out information um, about checking your bodies and being proactive about your breast, breast health care, you're a cancer slayer as well. So I just want to let everyone know that whoever is has information and who's supporting a, uh, someone who's going through cancer, you're a cancer slayer as well. Shout out to the caregivers and the spouses and partners yes. who are, are standing alongside those who are fighting this 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 battle and on this journey for yes, sure. Definitely. But to my sisters, self-care, make sure you're checking yourself, going to, to your visits. And I know sometimes we put those regular doctor's appointments off, mm-hmm. but make sure you go to your GYN appointments mm-hmm. and stay on top of your health and listen to your body because our bodies do send us messages. We often just ignore them when we shouldn't. So yes. making sure you make sure you're staying on top of your health. Please follow Slaying Cancer online. I'm going to definitely be checking it out. And remember, as always, to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.